So my name's Thomas, I'm one of uh, the elders in Grace Church, part of the leadership team, and uh, uh, Catherine, my wife, and I, we're based over in Chichester site, and uh, part of the, uh, the team over there. But really good to be with you this morning. We're going to be carrying on our series in Exodus, and uh, I wonder if you've got Bibles with you this morning. If you have, I really want to encourage you to get them out, and um, there's a really good reason for that, is because we're going to be reading quite a lot of of Scripture this morning. We talk about the Word of God and Scripture. We're talking about the Bible. And um, we are a church at Grace Church that we believe that this is the Word of God. We believe that God has given us instruction, that God has taught us about history and about His plans and purposes through this book. And so we hold it in really high regard. And so that's why we preach through books of the Bible. We don't just stand here and give you a, a good message to make you feel good and go away happy. Um, yet this morning we want to give you something more than that and talk about the power of God and what he is doing in this world. And so the reason I want you to open it is because I want you to follow along with what we're going to read so you can see these words for yourself and hope and pray that God will speak to you through that. And so we've got quite a lot to read through. Um, I'll give you a little recap. So we're in the series of Exodus, so it's the second book of the Bible, and uh, we're talking, looking at this guy called Moses that God... Um, has spoken to, and you can go back and listen to the first uh, four episodes. They'll be on our podcast, on our website, um, and catch up on that. But in essence, you've got this story of God's people that is threaded throughout the Bible. And actually, that story is, is my story and your story as well. And whether you're a Christian or not, it explains to you about humanity, explains to you about creation, explains to you about God's purposes in this world. It explains the, the effect of sin. We know the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and it goes right back from the beginning there and how God made everything good. And then humanity sinned, rebelled against God, and that affected all of creation right up until this day. And so whether you believe those stories or not, you can read them and see that what they are saying is a true reflection of, of the world we're in. It is a broken world. And so... Where we've got to today, last uh, time around, it was back in November actually, it was a long time ago, we looked at the plagues, and so you might be familiar with the story of, of Moses, you know, there's the, the wonderful Disney cartoon, uh, which depicts it quite well, uh, lots of people have seen it through that, but um, it's really good to go back and read through this and see that there is so much depth and meaning to what is going on here, and so you've got this man Moses who is a Hebrew, um, so he's part of, of Abraham's family. And so we go back in the book of Genesis, which we looked at a few months ago, and, and you see that God made this promise to Abraham that he would bless the nations through him, that he would give him descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky. And so it follows the, the bloodline of this man Abraham, and actually goes all the way back to Adam and Eve as well, where God promises Eve that the seed of the woman, her seed, would one day come and crush the head of the serpent who represents Satan and sin and death. And so... This is important because actually you'd be amazed how much this reality this is for our lives. And we see the consequences of sin all around us. And we see that we have a God who has promised to judge sin because he's a holy God and he's righteous and he has to do that like any good judge. But he also promises to redeem people, to turn people away from sin and into his plans and purposes. And so I believe this morning that for every person in this room that God has a plan for your life, and that he offers redemption. He offers a relationship with him and a way of living that will bring you more joy, more happiness, more peace than anything else that this world has to offer. 
And so I think there's something for all of us this morning that we're going we're gonna to see in these passages. So it's not just a story about you know, a group of people in, in Egypt you know, 3,000 years ago. This is something that actually God is, is speaking to us about. So we're going to read from Exodus 11. Let's grab some water. Um, so if you turn me to chapter 11 in the book of Exodus, and um, we've had nine plagues so far. And so Moses has been to Pharaoh, and he said, God, let my people go. Or Pharaoh, let my people go. God said that to him. And what he says is that you've got this man, Pharaoh, who has enslaved around about two million Hebrews. And they're basically enslaved to him to build his pyramids, to build his temples, to build everything in his land. They're using those slaves to do all of their work for them. And Pharaoh doesn't want to lose this wonderful resource that he's got. And so what happens is God says, no, I, I want these slaves. These are, these are my people. And actually the word slavery can be equated to the word worship. And God is saying to Moses, no, I want you to draw out my people from Pharaoh. But Pharaoh is going to harden his heart. He's going to say no, and it doesn't matter how much destruction I bring. And so what happens is you've got these nine plagues, and each time Pharaoh tries to negotiate, to hang on to what, what he's got, and in the end, we get to this tenth plague. And so let's read it together. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go. He will let, go from, let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. It says the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. And so just, just to start off with here, what you've got is a, there's a shift going on. So you've got the people of, of Egypt wanting to keep hold of these Israelites, and all of a sudden they're going, no, we're gonna, they're actually going to ask you to go. And not only that, but they're going to send you out with good things. They're going to give you their stuff because God is changing things. And at the beginning, when Moses in the burning bush, if you were here a few weeks ago and we talked about that, he was fearful. He didn't want to go to Pharaoh. He was this great king, this powerful, awesome leader. He was probably the most powerful man in the world at that time. And God was saying, yeah, I'm going to use you to go and ask Pharaoh to let go of these two million people. And Moses is like, no way, this is never going to happen. And God says, well, it is going to happen. And also, they're going to, they're going to send you out with all of their stuff. It was an utter, utter miracle. But you can see as Moses has grown in faith, as he's seen God at work, he's now got more confidence in what God is doing. It says, so Moses said, so in verse 4, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her hand mill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, so that's Moses, bowing down, bowing down before me and saying, go, to, go you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. And so we'll carry on with that. But you've now got Moses standing there. And actually, he's not, he's not saying, thus says the Lord, if you don't let my people go, this is what's going to happen. He's saying, no, it's, it's too late now. 
We've seen with all the other nine plagues that Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. Tighten that. Well done. He continues to harden his heart. Got too much stuff on it. Like, there we go. And we see that in the world around us today. We see it in ourselves. When God speaks, when God reveals himself, there is something in the sinfulness of humanity that we can harden our hearts towards God. We can say, no, that, that's not what I want. I want something different. God's saying, do this, but I'm saying, no, I want to do that. And we see that throughout this, this story of Pharaoh. It didn't matter how much God tried to catch his attention, how much God persuaded him to say, look, just allow my people to come and worship me instead of you. And Pharaoh just couldn't, couldn't do it. And it didn't matter how bad it got. And so, of course, in the end, we get to this story, and this is the moment of God's real, ultimate judgment over Pharaoh. So carry on verse 9. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. See, God knew that Pharaoh was going to harden his heart. So that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. God was doing something here. God was showing us something, showing the people of Israel something about who he was and his power. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So there's a shift. It begins with Pharaoh hardens his heart, but actually in the end, God says, okay, I'll harden your heart. And um, he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. And then it's chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. In other words, they should be perfect and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, so they'd have worn these long cloaks, so kind of get yourself ready. With sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So, let me just drink some of this. What you've got here is some really clear instructions. So, everything that's happened so far, the plagues have come on the people of Egypt, but actually God has protected the people of Israel. And they haven't had any involvement in that. It's just that God has done it that way. But what's going on now in this tenth plague is there is something for them to do as part of what God is doing in this, this final plague of, of the death of the firstborn. And so he's giving them really clear instructions because God knows what's going to happen. He knows how it's going to go. And so he's looking at, he's got this, um, this situation where he's saying every single household in Egypt tonight is going to be judged. 
that includes the households of the Israelites, the people of God, the Hebrews. And so this judgment is going to pass over. And so he's being very clear about what they need to do. And for those of you that have been around some time and you know your Bibles, you'll know that all of this is pointing towards something, which we will get to later on. It's pointing towards a spotless lamb whose blood is going to be shed in the future for the sins of the world. And so what's going on? He's giving them these instructions. They've got to be ready. They've got to have their cloaks tucked in. See, God knows that when this final plague comes, that actually the people of Egypt are going to get the people of Israel and they are going to rush them out. And so not only that, but this angel is going to pass over each and every house, which is why it was called the Passover. And this judgment is going to come at this moment and and they're going to be judged for their sin. And so the only way to escape this judgment is not for them to be sinless because they're not. No person is. Every person has fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has turned away from God and done our own things. And so the only way that they can be rescued is if they take this innocent, spotless lamb that represents something to come, and they slaughter it, they eat it, they share it amongst themselves as a people, and then they take the blood and they have to paint it on the door frames of their houses. It was more than just symbolic. It actually showed that a death had already occurred in their house that night, that there had already been a sacrifice. Otherwise, they could have just put red paint on the door frames. That's how we're the the Israelites. God knew who the Israelites were. He'd already protected them through nine other plagues. But actually what he was looking for in this moment was faith from his people. It took faith to hear these words of Moses and to to go, okay, we're going to do this. This is a bit strange. We're going to take this lamb. We're going to cook it in the way that God says. We're going to share it exactly amongst the people so that this, this body that we're going to slaughter is going to be enough for each and every household. There's something really incredible about what God is doing here. And so the whole picture of the people of Israel is that God is taking them out of captivity. He's bringing them out of slavery and he's taking them to a place to worship him instead. And that same picture applies to us as Christians. And again, we'll get to that in a moment. And so, where did I get to? Was it verse 14? This is a day, this is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. So that's after the Passover. They then have a seven-day festival to eat this bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. It's a bit strange as well, isn't it? It's like the bread you eat, why why does that matter? But actually God, again, is is giving instructions for them to take by faith. We find out later on when in, in the New Testament that Paul, the Apostle Paul, he likens yeast to sin. Jesus talks about the yeast of the Pharisees. And so there is something about the delay that it would have taken for them to allow that bread to rise. He's saying, no, we need to do this in haste. We need to go out quickly. You can't wait around for this this thing to, to rise up and to spread. And so there's something very symbolic about what they're doing. But it's also it's also showing them that they can take a step of faith here and do what God says, and that God is going to use that to demonstrate something of, of who he is. And 
and how sin affects us. And so for seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast, this is verse 15. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through to the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do not work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. This is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days no yeast is to be found in your houses. Anyone, whether foreigners or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing with yeast wherever you live. You must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families. Slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop. Dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and he will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants when you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised. Observe this ceremony, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. So it's pretty horrific, isn't it? You know, we just read it. You go, this happened. You know, we believe this is history written down. And there's lots of, of evidence that um, there was a, a huge people, if you like, within Egypt during that time that built these cities for the pharaohs. And yet it's this story of God's judgment and God's justice because God had a people that he'd made for his name. He'd made man, he'd made us to worship him, to know him, to live for him. And that is the best thing for us. And yet these people have been put into captivity. And so what this story, although it's a true story that happened, God in his providence <coughs> is creating a picture of sin. He didn't need the Israelites to go into captivity for 430 years. They went in as 70 people, the family of Joseph and Jacob, went in as 70 people and came out as 2 million all that time later. And then he takes them into the wilderness. And we're going to see more of that as we carry on in the story. But the question is, how, what does this mean for us? What does it mean for you this morning? It depends what your position is right now. Maybe you're here because someone's brought you along and, and you're not a Christian. And you're going, what's all this church stuff about? Maybe you know a little bit about church tradition. Maybe you know a bit about the Bible, but you, you've never really understood it. Well, the message of the gospel, the good news, is that God has made a way for sinful people to come back into relationship with him. God wants a people for his name. 
He wants a people that will praise him. We heard it this morning with the, the, the passage Catherine brought, actually, was, was very helpful because it, it showed that, that praise and worship of God is what God is all about. Because God is God. He is worthy of all praise. God is about the glory of his name. And actually, as human beings, as his creation, when we step into the thing that he's created us to do and to be, that's where we find our purpose. That's where we find our peace and our joy. And if you've been a Christian for some time, or maybe you're a new Christian, but you've encountered the presence of God, it is the most wonderful thing. And God's presence comes, and God stirs us, and we, we realize that our Creator is with us and for us. And so what you've got is this people that God is taking out. Now, what happens to the people of Israel is the, the word, um, the name Moses means drawn out, and God says, I will draw out my people. And so in the same way, God draws us out of sin and darkness into light through the person of Jesus. And so we're going to get to him in a minute. But what you've got in this Passover is, is a one-off event. It wasn't something that they had to keep doing, but what they were told to do was to remember it every year, to look back at this time of sacrifice where God took a lamb, or they took a lamb in faith, it's God's instruction, and they slaughtered it, and God forgave their sin. He passed over their sin. And yet, how could a lamb pay the penalty for a person's rebellion against God? And Actually, the answer is it couldn't. So all the sacrifices in the Old Testament, all the, uh, the blood and the slaughter and everything else, they were all pointing to something else. And so the whole point of the Old Testament is to point us to something else. And so it's really important to, to read the Old Testament. It's really important to get familiar with the stories in it. Some of it is quite gruesome. Some of it is quite awful and astounding. And, and you can think, what is that all about? But actually there is some wonderful truth threaded throughout it that, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God looks at sin and finds it abhorrent. That God says he must judge sin. When we rebel against the creator of the universe, there is justice that is needed. But actually, the good news is, is that that justice can be found somewhere else other than in the death of the firstborn. That actually one day God was going to send his firstborn son, Jesus, to come and die on a cross for his blood to be shed. And it's just such an amazing story when you discover that this is offered to all of us. That you can receive forgiveness of sin. Now maybe you're sitting here this morning and you think, oh, do I even need that? Do I want that? But actually the Bible's really clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God has made a way for that sin to be paid so we don't have to hide and you see it with children, don't you? When they, they do something wrong, the first thing they want to do is hide. We do it as adults as well. Have you ever stuffed something up and the first thing you want to do is make an excuse for why you did that bad thing? And it's like, oh, well, I only did... I mean, Catherine and I at home all the time. It's like, I forget to do something. And then I find a way to blame her for why I forgot to do the thing that I should have done. Well, if you hadn't done this, or if I dropped something, well, why did you leave it there? And it's like there's something in us as human beings that we feel ashamed of our brokenness. And rightly so. 
because it is brokenness. But actually to acknowledge that before God, to humble ourselves before God and to say, yeah, do you know what, God, I am broken. I don't love you. I don't want to worship you. I don't want to do the things that you say I should do. Who wants to obey the Ten Commandments? Who wants to obey the 618 laws in the Old Testament or the 800 or something commands in the New Testament? Can't we just be free? Can't we just be free to do whatever we want? Isn't that what life's all about? It's freedom and just you know, jumping around and laughing and going, yeah, I'm just free. And yet, actually, for any of us that have tried that, and I have, I was free for a long time from God, from church, from Christianity. And you know what? I made an utter mess of my life. My freedom led to complete and utter slavery to sin. And so actually what happens is, although God says, set my people free, and he says to us, you can be free from sin, it's not a freedom that that just means you can therefore do whatever you want. What he actually invites them into is, is from slavery to sin into slavery to righteousness. And it's like, there's something in us, slavery to righteousness, that doesn't sound very nice. But actually that's who we were made to be. That when you put your faith in Jesus, when you recognize your sin, when you humble yourself, and God says, yeah, I'm going I'm to give you my son. He's going to die for your sin. And instead, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within you. The Bible says that that makes us alive. It gives us life for the first time. And for the first time, we're actually able to say no to sin and yes to righteousness which is what true freedom is really all about. And so, let me show you this in the New Testament. I haven't got these on the screen. So, it says in Romans, uh, let's go to Romans 6 first. What then, so Paul is just making a point, he's talking about being dead to sin and alive in Christ, and he says this, Romans 6 verse 15, What then, shall we sin, because we're not under the law, but under grace? In other words, we've been saved, so we're into freedom now, so does that mean we can just do whatever we want then? That's the question that he's answering. He says, by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, you're in Egypt there, slaves to Pharaoh, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin, that's the freedom, and have become slaves to righteousness. Now this is really important. Now I know, I've, I've heard these things preached in the past, and I've sat there going, I don't really want to be a slave to righteousness. Aren't we under grace? Can't we just be, you know... I kind of take this reasonably seriously, but surely God doesn't expect me to obey him in everything. Yeah, I'm just, I'm only human. I've done that, I've been there, I still do it now. I have a little voice in my head sometimes that tries to manipulate me into doing bad things. And I think, oh yeah, but God will understand. But actually it always brings me pain. It always brings me some sort of suffering. And God doesn't want that for me. And actually, I also have the Holy Spirit in me. He says, no, you're under grace. You're free not to do that thing anymore. 
And so where I think this will help is that it's so easy to come into Christianity and say, well, I prayed a prayer, and I've made a commitment to God, and I've got my salvation. I can't lose it. And I'm safe. I'm a Christian. I'm whatever I am. You know, I've, I've been christened as a baby, or I've been baptized, therefore I'm okay. And then you just live your life in whatever way feels good, and you kind of go to church, and you tack a bit of Jesus on the side sometimes. It's so easy to do that. I think we live in a world where actually that's the popular way to be a Christian. Like, don't take it too seriously. Like, don't let it affect, you know, how you live your life. Like, don't tell other people about it. Keep it, keep it yourself. It's good just to have a, you know, it's good for you. Oh, you've got a faith. That's good for you. Had people say that to you before? It's nice when people have that. It's like you condescend. Anyway, um, but the point is that this is either true or it's not. And the good news of the gospel is that, that Jesus has set us free from sin. That our desires that we have, that are ungodly, our natural desires because of our sinfulness, we can actually be set free from. We can walk in freedom from them. And so think of it like this. Imagine that you are a slave. Okay? Imagine that, you know, and we know millions of slaves all around the world still even today. I think there's more people in slavery today than there's ever been. And it's horrific. Slavery is an awful, horrific thing. But imagine you've been a slave all your life. Imagine you've had this overwhelming, dominance, hard slave master constantly abusing you, telling you what to do, how to live, making all your decisions for you. That's what sin's like. Now imagine someone comes in and says, look, I'm going to buy you out of your slavery, and I'm going to bring you into my home. You're going to be mine, because I'm paying for you. And imagine then you get treated wonderfully. You're still a slave to the new owner, but this person loves you. This person cares for you. This person wants the best for you. They've bought you, so they, you're theirs. And yet they want to see you flourish. They want to see you succeed. Now imagine that old slave master suddenly sees you one day. He says, right, you! What are you doing over there? Come over here now! Imagine how you'd feel. If you've been under that master for years, you're going to be really tempted to just go, oh, I'm going to, I better follow what you say. Because you're going to be in fear. That person's going to have control over you. But actually there is a truth that you are no longer a slave to that person. And so in that moment, you remember that, and you go, hang on a minute. You're not my boss anymore. I serve this guy. He paid for me. He redeemed me. This is what Jesus has done for us. So what happens is the old slave master comes along, which is our flesh, which is sin, which is Satan, the temptation of this world, and says, oh, you, come on, do this. And you go, oh, oh. And you go, hang on a minute. I need to remember something. I need to remember that God has bought me, that he's paid for me, that he's redeemed me. And when you do that, you're like, yeah, I'm free. I don't need to do what sin says anymore. And it's the most liberating thing. I'm under grace now. And so when the accusations come, to be a Christian is to be accused all the time. The word Satan means accuser. There is an enemy that we have, and he will constantly be at you. And he would be saying, oh, you're not good enough. If they knew what you were really like, if they knew about your sin, what you did last night, you're not worthy. Perhaps you need to leave here. Perhaps you just need to go back to your old life. 
Come, come back to me. I'll take you back in. And we see that with Christians all the time. It's like, no, come and, come and be part of the church. That's what it is to be a Christian, is to be fallen, to be broken. We've humbled ourselves, and that forgiveness that we've received, it pays for all of our sin. Jesus died on the cross for all our sin. He was the true Son of God. He was the one that God sent to die in our place. And the truth and good news of the gospel is that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And that is the good news this morning. That is who God has made you to be. And so the reason he wants the people of Israel to remember this Passover is because he knows they're going to forget. He knows. And we see this happen. As soon as the people of Israel get in the desert and things get a little bit difficult for them, they go, perhaps we should have gone back to Egypt. You know, we'd have been all right there. And all of a sudden you see it and it comes about with us as well. And so my encouragement this morning is I stick with God. He is the best master to have. Freedom from sin means worship to God. That's who we were made to be. And that's what he offers us this morning. And so how do we as Christians remember that? Well, we have something that's very similar to the Passover. We have communion. We have bread and we have wine. Bread representing the body of Jesus and wine representing the blood of Jesus. And like the people of Israel, when they left Egypt, they were given this pillar of cloud, the presence of God. Pillar of cloud in the day and fire at night. In the same way, God gives us his Holy Spirit to come and dwell within us. And so what I'd like to do is just finish by reading uh, from Luke 22. This is the story of the Last Supper. We've been talking about communion for the last two weeks, if you've been here. And we're going to do communion again this morning. And we do it to remember what Jesus has done. We do it to reenact that act of sacrifice that Jesus made once for all for us. To remember that we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're now slaves to righteousness. And so it says this in Luke 22. I think this one's on the, on the screen. Good. Um, then came the day of unleavened bread. Does that sound familiar? On which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So you've got, this is what is it, 1,200 or 1,400 years later, you've got Jesus sat at a table with his disciples. He's done his ministry. He's coming right to the end of it. Three years he's been with them. And he says this. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked. He replied, as you enter a city, I don't know if I put all the verses in. I think I skipped those. Let's go to 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread... He gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, 
he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And so what you've got now is this scene where there's bread and there's wine at this Passover meal, but there's something missing that's not mentioned there. Can you see what it was? Someone say it. The lamb. The lamb. So he's talking about this Passover meal and he's got bread, he's got the unleavened bread and he's got the wine, but there's no lamb because Jesus is the lamb of God. We see that in the book of John. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so this Passover meal suddenly becomes something new. It becomes communion for the disciples, which is what we're going to take today. And so we see the mission of Jesus completed as he goes to the cross. and He dies an innocent lamb, the son of God, without sin. And as he does that, he pays the price for all the sin, past, present, and future, for all those that have put faith in God. And that can be us today. And so what I'd like to do is make an opportunity for us to take communion together, knowing what Jesus has done, to know that our sin has been forgiven, that you are going to sin again, because our bodies are sinful, they're decaying. And yet actually at the same time, God is going to be at work in you by his Holy Spirit as you understand the grace and the freedom that he's given you. As you become mature, as you read the word of God, as you pray and praise, you'll find that this enemy of sin, Satan and death becomes less and less powerful in your life. And so what I'd like us to do is if we come back to worship, so if we can, can do that and worship, I'd love us to pray. I wonder if there's people here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus, you've kind of done some religious things maybe, or maybe you haven't, maybe it's just your first time here and this is a great opportunity to say, actually, do you know what, I have got sin in my life. I need a sacrifice for my sin because the alternative is you go down Pharaoh's route. You harden your heart towards the things of God and the judgment will come. The Bible's really clear that there is going to be a final judgment. We saw in the words of Jesus there that he's looking forward to having this supper again one day. This time it will be in heaven, in glory, when Jesus is revealed. The second coming of Christ is a promise in the Bible that we look forward to. That he is going to come and redeem this world. He is going to come and deal with sin once and for all that these decaying sinful bodies that we have are going to go. We are going to die. Our bodies are going to fail us. And the older you get, the more you realize that. I pulled a hamstring the other day getting out of bed. (laughs) Our bodies are failing. But thanks be to God that Jesus has promised us a resurrection body in heaven. Our spirits are made alive with Christ. God is going to redeem his people. He's promised it. He's guaranteed it on the cross. Why don't we stand and I'm just going to give us a chance to pray together. Maybe you want to make a commitment to Jesus this morning. I just want to encourage you, if that's you, then you can do that where you are. It's between you and God. We'd love to pray with you if you do that this morning, but just in your heart right now, you can repent of your sin, of where you've not put God first in your life, where you've gone with your own desires in the hope that that will bring you happiness and yet you're enslaved to 
that sinfulness that's in you. If you ask Jesus to come into your life this morning to forgive you and to pay the price for your sin, he will do it. He promises it. There is no one outside of that. Even Pharaoh could have repented, but he didn't. He hardened his heart. Don't harden your heart this morning if you hear the voice of God in your spirit. Come and become part of the family of God. Maybe you're a Christian this morning. Maybe you just know that you're just a bit lapsed. You just struggle with sin and you've kind of given up fighting it. And your life's become about sin management. And you go from either just saying it doesn't matter or going, oh, I must be a better person. I feel God just wants to pour out his grace on you this morning for you to know that you are set free, that you are a child of God, that you are made holy in his sight, whether you sin or not. And I feel he wants to just come by his Holy Spirit this morning and breathe life into people. He always welcomes us back. Maybe you need to turn back to us and say, God, I do want to follow you. I do want to live a holy life. I do want to glorify you in my body. I want to suffer well for you, Lord, by saying no to sin and yes to righteousness. And then maybe this morning you are just going through a real hard time. I'm sure there are many battles in this room. And I feel God just wants to encourage you. Like that word Catherine brought earlier, just God wants you to learn to praise him in the suffering. Not to blame him. He has the power to change your circumstances, but God is at work in you to make you a trophy of his grace. God wants to refine you, and sometimes that means going through fire. And if you will learn to praise him, learn to trust him, learn to know that your end and your eternity is with him and nothing in this world can change that, then actually you can praise him in the deepest, darkest times. And he will meet you. So as we take communion this morning, as we take the bread, as we take the wine, let's think about those things. Let's do it in a way that honors Jesus and his sacrifice. We take no credit for our salvation. It was all his work. God, will you pour out your spirit on us this morning, Lord? Help us to be worshipers, Lord. Help us to come away from slavery to sin and come into slavery to righteousness, to worship a good God, a good master. Lord, we are your people. We are your children. Thank you for saving us, Jesus. Pray for my brothers and sisters this morning, Lord. Will they come and receive from you, Lord, as we take this meal together? What a wonderful Savior we have in you, Jesus. Amen.